Hi, I'm Jenny. I'm a mom and the founder and chief creative officer of Author Accelerator. I'm Melanie. I'm a mom and a writer, and I'm pitching my first novel. Hi, I'm Abby. I'm a mom and a writer pitching my first middle grades novel. Welcome to Mom Writes. This season is all about the ups and downs of pitching. Join us as we prepare to pitch, weather rejections, change course, and hopefully celebrate getting agented. Mom Writes, as always, is sponsored by Author Accelerator, a book coach certification company. If you're a writer and you've ever been jealous of the amazing coaching experience that Melanie and I have had over the course of the last two 150 podcast episodes, why not head over to authoraccelerator.com where they'll match you with one of their certified book coaches based on your project and your goals. The matching service is free. Or if you've ever listened to one of our episodes and thought, man, Jenny's job is the dream. I want to help writers bring their books to life. Well, Author Accelerator also trains book coaches in their certification program. They have courses for coaching fiction and nonfiction and a course on the business of book coaching. You can sign up for their free all about book coaching video series at www.bookcoaches.com forward slash ABC. And now buckle up for this emotional roller coaster on season three of Mom Writes as we take on pitching. Welcome one and all to season three of Mom Writes, which is all about pitching. And I guess I just wanted to get myself into the mindset for being rejected because I stupidly went in and read the one and two star reviews for the podcast before I started recording this. That was the worst idea I've had all week. But really, I'm not everyone's cup of tea and neither is my book. So to circle this back around to pitching, I'm trying to find that person, that agent who gives my book five stars and who would give it 20 if they could. This season, we're inviting our listeners behind the scenes in the process. I've agreed to share it all, not just the celebrations, but the rejections too. Mel will also be around later in the season, uh, but right now she's in the middle of a major move, which makes me laugh. Not at her expense because she's moving and she's stressed, but because when season one ended, I took a big cross-country move. And then when season two ended, Mel did the same. So I hope the only major life event that happens at the end of season three is that Mel and I become published authors. Because moving is the pits. <laughs> so buckle up for episode one, where I talk about a major realization that I had after my last draft. Spoiler alert, it's this. No agent in their right mind was going to pick up my book. That's a pretty crazy way to start season three, right? So welcome to Mom Writes. Are we recording? I hope we're recording. We're recording, right? We're recording. Hi! I just want to say, like, I wish we could have two hours just to chat, first of all, um, <laughs> and to say welcome back to, for, to me. Mom writes, but here's, welcome. Here's what I really say is I read your pages uh, last night, and they're so good. Come <laughs> <laughs> back to your story. I just, oh my gosh, it was so fun. I loved it. It was like I could talk for days. I loved it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Yay! I said to Sean, um, when I woke up this morning and I saw, you know, all your edits in there, I said, well, she only made like seven comments and I think only two were suggestions. So either I did really well or it's so bad. She's just going to wait and tell me in person. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's, we'll talk about, we'll talk about the first chapter because, um, the second and third chapter are like 10 out of 10 and the first chapter is not quite there yet. So I think, you know, obviously you have to work on that for pitching, but, um, the, it feels like the story just, I don't know, like crystallized, you know, and I'm sure you've been working your butt off, but there's just nothing like time to make it better. Right. Mm-hmm. Are you? Yeah. I am. I am. I'm actually surprisingly happy with it because I walked away from it for a few months when I finished with Camlo. I just couldn't. I was just like, oh, I just, I need time. And this was just before the pandemic started. So it didn't even have anything to do with the pandemic. It was just, it was just, there was so much that was swimming around in my head and I couldn't keep it all straight. And so I walked away from it for a few months. And when I went back to read it, I stopped and I thought, wait a second. I wrote this. I was like, Abby on the back past Abby. That's pretty good. But walking away from it gave me, I think, the perspective that I needed to be able to see where it needed to be fixed. Whereas yeah. before, I really, I just really couldn't. I was, I was tired of it. I was, yeah. I was too close to it, and I needed some space. And that space oh. really helped. And so, um, and I think I remember you saying that before that you tell writers it's okay to walk away for a month or two months and get you know get some distance from it. And so that made me feel like it was a normal thing to do. Oh, totally. And you know that you probably heard me say a million times, the thing, the number one th- thing people get wrong when they get close to um, the end or to pitching is that they rush. It's like, oh, I finished that revision. I finished that draft. Like, let's start pitching. Or, or that feeling you had, I'm sick of it. That must mean I should get it off my desk and pitch it, you know? And that, um, you know, everything is solved by, by slowing down. Like you're really just not served by, by rushing because, you know, the difference between good and great, you know, there are a lot of good manuscripts out there, but the great, you know, you want great. So not just because that's more likely to get published, but it's more likely to be beloved, you know, by the reader. So um, I'm super proud of you. I'm so excited. And I, um, the uh, chapters two and three, I was having that experience that I often have where like, I know exactly what's going to happen not specifically in those chapters because I hadn't seen those scenarios before, but mm-hmm. with this story, with this person, with this whatever, but still I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, just how hard you are in your character right at the beginning. All of it, we could talk forever. <laughs> but we're here to talk about pitching, so. Well, but it's good because actually the... Um, you know, the two biggest things 
for starting to pitch. Yes, I guess we should. Let's let's introduce <laughs> what we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> we're back for what is it? Season three. Mm-hmm. Is that we? Is that we? Trace. It? Season Trace. Yeah. Season three. And it's all about pitching, and and we've got just Abby because life got in the way for Mel right now, <laughs> but. She'll just briefly. It's just briefly back. in her way. Yes. Um, as life does. And we're in the middle of a pandemic now. So there's that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're, we're doing everything to, to help you pitch. And um, b- before we get too far into it, I just think somebody, might as well be me, should say, what a courageous and brave and awesome thing you're doing to do this in public, <laughs> to do this live and to put yourself out there. And we don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, um, pitching is always risking rejection and rejection hurts. And you're, you're being willing to do that is, you know, to help your listeners and show them what it's like. And um, it's huge. So yeah, you, you know, I'll take one for the team, <laughs> but I think, you know, we don't always get to see the dirty parts of it. And so I think sometimes we feel like we're a failure because everybody else seems to have done it right because all we see is the success. So if I can show people what it looks like to fall flat on your face, but get back up again, maybe that helps somebody else. I don't know. Well, it's funny, um, you know, thinking about this in terms of moms, it, it seems like that's such a mom skill to teach your kids how to do that because mm-hmm. kids fail all the time, right? They're, they're much closer to failure all the time than I think adults. As adults, we kind of get to a place where we're not, you know, we're not not being invited to the birthday party that often anymore, you know, or we don't care if we're not, or, you know, I don't know. It feels different, but for kids, there's, there's a lot of failure. And it seems like our job as a mom is often to be the one saying, it's okay. You can do it. Get back up. You can try. It's not, you know, like that, that's a tape we play all the time as a mom. And um, but here you are, you know, putting yourself in that position. So it's kind of interesting. But we'll see. We'll see how this all turns out. <laughs> I'll put on uh, the right face. I know. So the um, the big things when you're getting ready to pitch, I think there's two really big things. Um, they're kind of obvious, but maybe not. One is you have to get your manuscript and all your pitch materials into pitch perfect shape. So the question is, what does that mean? How do you know when you're ready? So I want to talk about that today. And then um, the second is your mindset to get your mind into the right place. And that has to do with what we're just talking about with, um, you know, there's a line in the sand where you've been a creator and you're good at being a creator, particularly you, you create stuff all day long. And I see you on Facebook. (laughs) I see what you do. You make things, you raise things like animals. You, you know, you, you, you're a creator and, 
And a lot of us are comfortable in that role. It's fun. It's generative. It's positive. You're in control. It's yours. Nobody's judging it. It doesn't matter. You know, like it's, it's, it's creation. And, and when you come to pitch, there's this line in the sand where all of a sudden now you're, you can't pretend that what you're doing is trying to get somebody to buy your book, to invest money, cash monies in a product you made. That's what you're doing. And it's um, a really different game, a really different mindset set shift. And a lot of people don't transition to it very well. So I, I wanted to talk about both of those things. So you said before, you're really excited about the book itself. And I saw just in the first three chapters, a, a few things I thought needed tweaking, but how are you feeling overall um, about the manuscript? Um, so I, I still feel like I need to tweak, you know, the whole thing. I, I, I don't know. Do you ever get over feeling like, <laughs> let me just do one more, just wait, 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 one more, one more. But um, I did a thing at the end of season two where Kemlo and I stopped and we looked at each other and we went, you know what? This kid isn't really in middle school. She's really in elementary school. She's really more fifth grade. And the more I sort of dug into it mentally and then also on other people's pages, like I have a whole stack of books right here that are the same Lexile level that I would like my book to be. So I've, I've kind of looked, you know, middle grades is a, funny beast in that you have such a wide range of reading abilities. You have to really, I think you have to really narrow down, not just the age of your protagonist. Like we talked about in season one, where you challenged me, you know, do you really want to do upper middle grades or do you want to do lower middle grades? But there's this, there's this very small niche of middle, middle grades that I feel like that's kind of where my book has fallen. And so, um, the voice of my character, I felt like was already there, but what was not there was the world of the school because an elementary school is, looks very, very different than, than a middle school. And I had written very clearly a middle school. And so um, what I'm trying to do now is go back in and I'm not, I'm not changing so much the story itself as I'm just trying to make the world fit the story that I'm trying to tell. And I'm, I'm kind of bouncing around and, and doing it a bit and, you know, here and there and trying to clean that up. Um, that was the first thing that I, I started to do and I'm still working on it. I, you know, I'm, if I do a chapter a day, you know, I'm, I'm done in three weeks. So I'm not, it's not like I, it's going to be a hard thing to clean up. Um, but you know, it, it was still a red flag in that, it's a whole book thing. It's not just one chapter or two chapters. The other thing that I realized and speaking about pitching, I mean, this is kind of the, the best place to bring it up. Um, I was really afraid an agent wasn't going to pick me up because my draft as written in my second draft had a lot of characters in it that would have needed to be licensed. Characters that came from books that are not um, in the public domain and what I was really afraid of was that an agent would say to me, you know, I really love this story. I really love your writing, but I can't sell this because no editor is going to pay a gazillion dollars in licensing fees for a first time author that they don't know if they're going to sell. And so um, 
you know, really the funny thing, I, all along I had been worried about the legal aspect, the legal aspect, but really it's, I think it comes down to the financial aspect of to make it legal, you know, it was going to make it hard for me to sell my book. And even though the point of including all those characters was to encourage children to read more and to read those stories and to introduce them to characters that I love, that my children love, and and to to draw them into those books and those series and those writers, it felt like it was actually going to make it impossible for my book to get to the world. So I decided to go back and any character that wasn't in the public domain, give them their own fake book. <laughs> so which I believe is actually what Jasper Ford does in his series, which was one of the, you know, I've always said I want to be Jasper Ford, but for children... And if you read his books, he does seem to have a mix of real characters and fake characters. And his real characters are all older characters. And I suspect they're older characters because they're in the public domain. And so, Oh, like Jane Eyre. Yeah. In the Eyre Affair. Yeah, exactly. And so I went through and, you know, Ralph S. Mouse played a big part in my story, but Beverly Cleary is like still alive. She's what, 102, 103 years old? She's still kicking. She's still kicking. And so, you know, she's not in the public domain. And um, so I've gone through and actually that's been part of what really revived me into working on my story even more is because creating these characters that are, you know, might have an aspect or an element of the original character that I wrote in the fan fiction element. Um, it's kind of allowed, I think, my creativity to shine through a little bit more. So Ralph That's S. Like Mouse, the little pirate, tied. Oh my gosh, it's so fun! So, so then I love this idea of fan fiction. Because then when you're out at schools talking to kids or you're doing events or on panels at writing things, you can talk about Ralph S. Mouse inspiring your mm-hmm. pirate rat. You know, like you can <laughs> say, there's fan fiction all woven through here. And mm-hmm. I think the teachers and librarians will love that as much, if not more, because they can, it, you know, it's like a game. Mm-hmm. Like my um, Easter eggs. Yeah, so I want to ask you because um, it's really sophisticated thinking on your part on several levels where just how you how you came to that knowledge that you needed to think that way about these properties. Because that's, that's really great. So how did you kind of come to that point? Well, I, I really dug my feet in for the longest time because people have been telling me all along, like, can you really use those characters? Can you really? They're not yours, you know. But I felt like I needed to start there because I was a beginning writer. And, and using some of those characters actually helped me get into their heads more because I, I didn't have to do that, that creation bit. I... I already knew who they were. And so it, I just had to say, well, what, what would they say? Or what would happen next? Or what would Ralph do in this situation? So it's, it's like it was just a jumping off point for me. And when I came to realize that I, I, I wasn't going to be able to sell my book at, 
and I don't even know how I came to that realization. It's just like, it just hit me. It hit me because at first I thought, oh, you know, Scholastic or Disney, they, their lawyers will know what to do. And if they don't know what to do, I have a plan B. And my plan B was just to like change the name, right? Which is really not good enough. Let's just face it. But that's what I told myself as I was writing. But one day it really did. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, oh my God, I, I, I can't sell this. And the idea of not being able to sell it and never putting my book into the world was what it took to make me say, okay, let's be creative. Like what, what else can I do? What can I do to make this character mine and not Beverly Cleary's? Um, so smart. I mean, frankly, I didn't, I hadn't thought of it in the beginning when we were working on it. And, um, but what's interesting is it often comes up more with music lyrics, like the number of times that people want to use a song or music lyrics as a theme or a running thing or, um, whatever it might be. And it's like, you can't, (laughs) you can't. Well, Terry Case, Terry Case is actually the one who got me started thinking about the whole licensing aspect because in, I think it was in the doghouse, she used a lyric from a song and she licensed it. And I think she told me it was about $1,000 and she had to take that chapter that she had written it in. She had to send it in because they want to see that it is being used in a way that's appropriate, that the, the writing was quality writing. It wasn't just some, you know, crappy, hastily thrown together work, I guess. Um, and I thought to myself, oh, $1,000. Oh, no big deal. And then I'm like, oh, how much is it going to cost me to license Scooby-Doo? You know, because Scooby-Doo is my story. And I, I started adding it all up in my head. And I thought that this is going to be a big barrier for me. Even if legally they can do it by licensing, it's financially not. It's not a smart move on their part to pick me up. They don't know if I can sell. So. What's funny, um, not too long ago, I did an interview with an agent who, a very prominent agent who, um, it's a long story, but she was the, my boss's boss of my very first job at Random House. So my very first job out of college was at, was at Random House. And she was my boss's boss and, uh, she ran the division. And, um, so she had no idea who I was just like, you know, um, she had no idea who I was, but we were doing this interview and, um, and I told her this, I said, you know, I, I worked for these people who worked for you during this era and this time. And, and, um, and then I told her the book that I was working on and, um, it was called an incomplete education. And it was a, a compendium of all the things that you didn't learn in school, kind of in all these different disciplines. And, and my job, my entire job was permission. That's what I did all day long. My first job out of college was, and back in the day, it was writing letters on paper, like mm-hmm. t- typewriting letters and signing them and sending them off to the publishers, which is what you do. They all have permissions departments, rights and permissions departments. It's relatively easy. Now there's an online form, but they had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds in this book. And, and that was my job. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
I was, I was reminding her of that. And it was really fun because she was like, oh, that was one of the, my favorite books of my whole career. And, and it, um, it did really, really well over time. It's still selling. It's still doing well. And it was just a really fun moment because um, we both remembered that her from a really different place <laughs> as the <laughs> publisher and me as the editorial assistant who was getting all the permissions. So that's where I learned about permissions. But mm-hmm. I, um, I always really think of it in terms of things like lyrics or photos or uh, text. Like um, there's a fair use clause for how much text you can quote. And usually it's under uh, up to 500 words in a book that's in the, um, you know, not in the public domain. And mm-hmm. um, so there's things like that, but I had not thought about it in terms of your characters, which I'm sure people in the world of, um, you know, like uh, making t-shirts and mugs and that mm-hmm. whole world with where those type of characters probably come up quite a lot that's probably really, um, I'm just thankful that, um, pony boy Curtis and soda pop Curtis are in the public domain because those are two of my favorites that made it into the story. And I thought, I just don't know how I'm going to replace them because he connects with Bernadette because he has a weird name and he says, you know, my dad was weird. And so there's, they kind of have a little moment of connection where this weird kid tells her her life is weird. And she's like, oh crap, maybe it's true. So I was really kind of sweating what I was going to do with those guys. But I was thankful that that book is in the public domain. So Awesome. So so it sounds like, so getting the manuscript to, to ready, um, actually is KJ Delantonia of the- I know what you're going to say. Podcast, right? Has this phrase that she used that I now have- adopted, which is the good enough manuscript. And I love that, you know, she's such a pro and, and I love that for so many reasons because it acknowledges that it's gotta be good. And, and Mm -hmm. it's a really high bar for good. And it, but it, it acknowledges that there's so much else that happens to a manuscript after it, you know, if it, if you get signed by an agent, the agent's going to have ideas. Then they're going to sell to an editor. The editor's going to have ideas. Then there's going to be a proofreader. They're going to have ideas. Like there, there's so much that still happens. So her phrase is, it's good enough to go out, but not so good that I can't change it. Right? Yes. Isn't that what she said? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's the acknowledgement about this moment in time. And, and the mistake a lot of people make well, the one I talked about before is they rush to send it out before they've done, you know, a good enough job. And the other, the opposite of that is the endless fussing and perfectionism as if it's going to print tomorrow. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's that frantic, like, oh, wait, but I got to change this and oh, wait, but there's that and I got to fix this. And then they never pitch. So, so one of my questions is like along those lines, if an agent gets your first chapter or your first 50 pages and there just happens to be a typo or a comma splice, I mean, are they going to look over something like that? As long as it's not riddled throughout the whole thing, like, is that I mean, something I think, that you need to nitpick? No, I, I love this question so much because it gets at the heart, the true heart of what we're doing here. 
there is no agent on the planet who is going to turn something down because there's a common spice. <laughs> if, if the idea is fabulous and the execution is fabulous, you know, it just is not like, why, why would somebody make that calculation? It's so easy to fix a comma splice, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that is not what they're, that's not, we're talking about a much bigger level of love that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not grammarians who are looking for somebody who's got perfect grammar. Obviously you, you want it to be as solid and as good as you can. And if somebody, for example, if, English is not their first language, or if they just are bad at grammar. I happen to be extraordinarily bad at at grammar, and I'm a terrible proofreader. Um, anybody who reads my blog knows these things. I I'm I'm terrible, and I am of the opinion like I because I don't. I mean, I care about those things because they help make our communication and our writing clear. But I would much rather have a great idea that's well expressed than to have those things perfect. So that's not the level you're worried about. What mm-hmm. what you're worried about is you want someone to catch your vision. You know, it's like that idea of pitch is really like in baseball. Like you want somebody to with a catcher's mitt to like catch your vision and just like, boom, I get it. I see this. I can picture this book. I can picture this series. I can picture this author in the world. I see where it fits. I know how to sell it. I know what to do with this. In fact, I already have 10 editors in my head. I can't wait to send this to. Like, that's what you're looking for, you know? And and that um, that understanding of your vision is, is what we're going for. So the, you know, there's kind of two pieces to it. Well, there's three. The, um, you send a query letter and then the goal of the query letter, there's only one goal. And then the goal of the query letter is, to have them request pages. And sometimes people have like five or 10 pages with the query, but usually not. Usually it's just the query. So the goal is to get them to request pages. It's going to be your first pages. And so the next goal is for those opening pages to be so great that they request the whole thing. So the each little piece has a job. So the the opening pages, that's why I was saying, I think your opening chapter is there's a few things in there that kind of caught in my brain and you really don't want to have any of those in chapter one and you don't have any of them in chapter two or three, but what people don't understand is they're not getting to chapter two and three, (laughs) you know, if, if it's not, if the, and, and a lot of times writers are like, you know, to your, to not to your point, but to your pages, they, they would say, but chapter two is so great. And it only starts on page eight. And, you know, they'll just get there. And it's like, no, they, they may spend 30 seconds. And if on that first page, and if they're, you can tell, I mean, when you do this all day long, you can tell when something is great or not. And, and when the writer sort of has it or not, and when they have a vision and they know how to execute it or not, you can tell, you do not need to read even 10 pages to tell. So we're trying to get those opening pages so fabulous so that they request the manuscript. And then the job of the manuscript, it's like, they may be reading it and thinking a million things. They may be thinking, um, I mean, in your case, who knows? I don't know about a rat. I think it should be a mouse. I don't know about, uh, fifth grade. Maybe it should be six. Like they might have a million Mm -hmm. things in their head or, 
um, whatever they're going to think. And, but none of that matters. They're, they're trying to catch the whole vision and see, you know, it's like, is the proof in the pudding? You know, I've liked the story that this writer has described to me. It sounds fabulous. It sounds like they have placed it in the market really well. Um, I sure hope they can write it. I sure hope they can pull it off. And then they read the opening pages and it's like, oh, okay, they can pull it off. I sure hope it doesn't fall apart in the middle. So then they get the whole thing and, you know, you want to just make sure it doesn't fall apart in the middle and that whole arc is there. And it, but, but it's not, it's not, um, you know, back to KJ's thing. Um, it's good enough. It's not perfect. And mm-hmm. uh, if an agent sees a few things that they want to tweak or change or fix on a story level that they most will still take it. So um, yeah, that's what we're after. It's exciting, right. huh? It is exciting. So where do we start? That's my next question. Where do we start? Okay, so um, your job is right now to get that manuscript into good enough shape and to make sure, you know, I would say within like the next, call it four or five weeks, it's going to take us to prepare. And you said it would take you three weeks to get through it. So you have a little time. To, to get that manuscript so you feel really you want to be proud and excited and confident about what you send out so that's your job is to get it there and then my job is to help you get those first chapters into into um into shape and and then your pitch materials into shape so that's what we're going to be doing over this new season the course of this new season so next episode we're going to talk about just how the pitch process goes and what to expect through it. I'm sure there's a lot of questions, especially in the middle of a pandemic. So um, when we come back, that's what we'll talk about. But you're gonna keep you're gonna keep doing what you do and and getting that um, those pages into shape. Sounds good. All right. So we'll see everybody next episode. Right. Bye. Bye.